Hello and welcome to Ways Women Lead, the podcast where remarkable female leaders share their personal journeys and offer valuable guidance on advancing your career as a woman in leadership. Join host Anna Gramadska and her guests as they delve into various aspects of leadership, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is brought to you by Six Group, a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. So let me start with an introduction. Your roles, what you've done throughout your career, it's a wonderful representation of the essence of Ways Women Lead podcast. So you've been the first woman on the board of governors for Pakistan Cricket Board, currently group head of people and organizational excellence at the Bank of Punjab. Also a writer on historical art from Punjab and a senior mentor for women leaders in Myanmar. Uh, over 27 years of experience in public sector, corporate and development sectors, and this includes diversified industries, energy, finance, health, uh, telecoms and technology. You've worked for organizations such as uh, the World Food Programme and United Nations Development Programme, and most recently Askari Bank and currently the Bank of Punjab. You were recognized as the HR Professional of the Year at the Asia-Pacific HR Congress in 2012. So I'm excited to, to begin. And also, which something which I just found out, your name has a wonderful meaning, which is, so Alia Zafar, what's the meaning of the name? So Alia means pure, um, uh-huh. high and pure, high uh-huh. and elevated. And uh, Zafar means victory. So uh-huh. it basically means pure victory. Fantastic name, beautiful yeah. name. Thank Beautiful you so name. And I imagine it guided you throughout your career because so many roles you've taken on. You were a role model for, for a woman to take on this role for the first time in, in, in the history and for someone with a completely new bo- background taking this role on the first time. So you broke a lot of barriers, I presume, with, with your work. So tell me about your leadership journey, the, the key milestones in your leadership journey. I think uh, some of the important milestones that I can think of, like it's like the journey itself. It's not something which, you know, which happens suddenly. It's like a, you know, door which opens very quietly, but it opens very surely. And um, I think uh, looking at uh, my journey, it's pretty much like that. But the first milestone, I think, was initiated uh, with my becoming part of the National Civil Services of Pakistan. Also, uh, later, I became part of the International Civil Services uh, through UN. But these movements in my career, I think uh, one of the important elements is that I was able to move from the public sector to the corporate and then to the development sector. And that really uh, has been all three components created milestones for me. But also it created a lot of uh, depth in terms of my approach to problems and problem solving. I think that has helped me a lot. Also, I think my inclusion as the first female in the Board of Governors for Pakistan Cricket Board, uh, and that's, you know, I'm I'm the first in the region. So I think that in itself is a key milestone. I wasn't thinking too much of it at the time, but um, I realized the impact of it on women around me. And it's something which has inspired a lot of women around me. And I get a lot of messages and I get a lot of uh, you know, uh, tips on as to how to actually uh, achieve that goal. And I try and help wherever I can. 
Um, but also um, one other area which I think for me uh, personally is important and that really relates to uh, the critical acclaim for a book I've recently written on history, art and restoration, though it's not really con connected as such to leadership, but it does really provide me with a lot of confidence that I do have the ability to do a lot of other things also. I can sort of transform and be a bit of a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> in other dimensions, yeah. So when people reach out to you, when these ladies reach out to you uh, for advice, what are the typical questions you get and what is your typical advice? Um, a lot of it centers around how to actually break the glass ceiling. And of course, the glass ceiling does exist at every level. So a lot of it comes from uh, women who are trying and struggling to make it but also from, from uh, women who are already in sports. From that perspective, I think it's a lot to do about what's the next step. A lot of my responses center around two areas, which I actually I have found to be extremely important in my journey. One is, of course, based on, on my values and how I find every kind of difficulty as a stepping stone towards achieving more. Um, and how do I do it is also important because uh, you need to have a baggage that you are carrying and that baggage needs to be the right one. So the values that you take forward as a leader are extremely important. And how you are also professionally sound, how hardworking you are, all these things matter. But also what matters is how you can create your networks and how you can utilize your net networks also, how you can help others so that others would help you. But it's all uh, done in such a way that you are actually helping those people who are uh, as professional in their conduct as you would want to be displayed uh, in any organization. So it's not really helping anyone who does not deserve it. Mm -hmm. So really, um, you know, working on your own values and then creating those networks and help, help, you know, trying to help everyone if you can. Mm -hmm. So you've always had very clearly defined values. You've always known what's most important for you. You lived by those values. Uh, it was always important for you to network, but ensure that the relationships you build were beneficial for, for everyone. And then you've always been driven and hardworking. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that baseline for any person or, and any personality really comes out of their own basic value system. And that value system really, for me, for for my own self, it's based on fairness and equity um, mm -hmm. so much more than I, th I normally see around me, which is unfortunate, but it's it's something that I really hold extremely dear to myself. So for me, uh, having integrity in, in the work that I do comes out of also being fair and equitable in everything that I do in, in my own conduct as well. Who have been the most influential people for you as a leader, for your leadership journey? I would say my parents, first and foremost. My mother, I learned a lot of the value of empathy and the value of focus. From my father, I learned commitment, hard work, uh, being organized uh, and being extremely logical in, in how I approach any of my work areas. So there are so many small things that I've sort of picked from both of them. And I'm always reminding, they both passed away quite some time back, but 
I'm always reminded of those small snippets of conversation that I had with both of them um, at any given point. And these are small things, but they actually have uh, driven a lot of the work that I've done and driven a lot of the quality in terms of the work that I do and, and also my value system. But then other than that, I, I would like to mention one of my mentors. I, I worked with him in the civil service and then later on in uh, in a corporate uh, bank also. And he's now, I, I don't want to say his age because he might actually watch this. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, he's definitely older than me. But the kind of positive energy that he has is like that of um, an 18 year old still. And he taught me so much of the reality of life and how these positive energies can also help us and make us stronger. So every time I meet him, I, I definitely learn more every time I meet him. So it's it's been a real for me for, for the last really two decades, I would say. Uh -huh. He's been a very positive influence on me. But uh, I wouldn't want to just stop there. I think my own stubbornness, myself, my rebellious nature, mm -hmm. not accepting the status quo anywhere, whether it's uh, you know my personal life or or my work, uh, trying to approach life in a bit of a non-linear way. My thought process is non-linear. Um, that has really actually uh, helped me, and that has actually influenced my journey as well. I would like to mention mm -hmm. myself. <laughs> I imagine. So, for example, uh, you know, first woman on the board of governors for Pakistan Cricket Board. What was it like for you? Was it easy to take on this role? Did it feel natural? Did you have any challenges when you first took it on? Thank you for that. It's a, it's a very important question. I think I would want to mention that a lot of times we tend to think that we've, we've made it and there's a journey and it's there is an end to it. When you when you actually achieve something and it's it is a milestone certainly. But there are people around you who are always supporting you. So I have been part of a board which has been extremely supportive, extremely professional, all of them. And that really has not given me any space to feel the challenge. So I don't see um, that I can honestly say that it has been tough from that perspective. Uh, but of course, when you are facing any kind of uh, governance component, uh, there are always challenges, but these challenges are very interesting challenges because when you work upon them, these essentially get better and better. So you're always trying to create a change, create and create an impact that is apparent then in the results. So you felt supported, you, you, you felt as, as part of the board quite immediately. You didn't feel there were, you didn't feel different just because you were the first woman. I mm -hmm. don't feel different anywhere, actually. This is a funny uh -huh. part. So I, uh -huh. I travel a lot. So if I'm in the you know south of France and there's not a single uh, English speaking person or all of French and I'm the person of color as well, because I can't see myself, I don't really register that at all. So I'm pretty much like everyone else. Uh -huh. So, so what, uh, yeah, that's my nature as well, I suppose. What would you say about, because you mentioned earlier, right, you're giving some support and advice on how to break the glass ceiling. Why is there a glass ceiling? I presume it's different for every single sector, for every single country, probably. Why is there a glass ceiling? And, and is it all about giving the advice to when women, for example, to be brave and not fear? Or is there something else? What's your perspective on this? I think the glass ceiling is everywhere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It's not, uh, you know, specific to Pakistan. The glass ceiling is there because over a period of last 
hundred years, we have seen how we have developed and yet we have not been able to bring equity and diversity into our organizations the way we needed to help them. And it's it's a challenge faced globally by everyone. All the countries are facing it. Um, now, it's just how we actually fix it is what I try and focus on. And fixing it requires both parties because there's not just one party here that we are talking about. So both sides to come forward and to transform and change a little bit. The glass ceiling is there because we have embedded biases. The glass ceiling is there because the world over we have patriarchy as a faith-based system which has been continuing. And a lot of times we do not even understand our own biases and how we are looking at them and how we are acting according to them. So um, I think when we when we start talking about these things, it becomes apparent to some extent and it becomes unacceptable more and more as we speak more about these areas. And then obviously uh, we need to have a very system based approach towards these things. So you need to create policies, create the environment, create the processes embed within the system all the tools that are required so that all kinds of biases can be taken out and everyone can be given a fair chance. And you, I mean, you've been doing a lot of work related to helping to break this glass ceiling throughout all your roles. And you also currently do it at the Bank of Punjab, which which is a big organization, isn't it? It employs how many people right now? 13,000. 13,000 people. 13,000 people, uh, private sector. It's a financial institution, 600 plus uh, branch network. Uh-huh. So it's uh, quite a big organization, yes. Uh-huh. So because every sector will be different and some of the work you've done in the past will be different as well. Of course, looking at the development sector, it will be completely different. But to give some advice to organizations, to leaders within organizations, I think your, your current work is quite a nice example. What are the most impactful diversity, equity and inclusion projects, initiatives that you have led uh, within your current organization and why were they so impactful? Right. So um, there are multiple sort of multiple areas that we pick on when we talk about uh, diversity and inclusion and that's equity also uh, included in this. So the first, I, I think, important element is looking at it from a very strategic point of view and creating change and transformation more, more from the agile perspective also, so that there is an integrated transformation which incorporates your people, your policies, your processes, and also incorporates the internal DNA of the organization so that once you reach out to the communities around you, whatever you're offering to the community also creates an ecosystem within the communities that we work in. So there have been there has been a two-pronged approach towards DEI, which we took up within the Bank of Punjab. And one component is an internal inward-looking one, meaning that we have created policies which have not actually been in place in most of the industry. So quite a few industry plus policies, for example, affirmative action policy, um, I can sort of uh, just give you offhand, is one of the policies which was not there and which is not there in the industry. And we, we started with that and then creating space in every dimension. So you have the entry and the exit. You have the sort of life cycle of an employee with you. 
So how do you create an experience which provides them the enabling environment and for that what kind of policies you require, what kind of processes you require and what kind of changes you require also in the, for example, the contract type. So we did not have part-time contract types, which we have also introduced very recently. Flexible working environment was not something which for a, for a bank was possible, but we were able to manage that. And in the COVID, uh, we obviously had to do a lot more of thinking and create uh, new ways of working. So that was also incorporated. Uh, we also worked a lot on numbers, although I, this is not something that I like talking about a lot. But, uh, you know, when I joined the organization, we were uh, at a very low number in terms of percentage. And creating a, a, such a substantive change in that, that uh, our regulator has actually recognized our uh, a real change in terms of numbers also. Although numbers, you know, that's percentage, I, of, that's percentage, percentage of the percentage of female versus male. But see, it's not, it's a baseline for me. It's something that I think I don't want to like put a tick mark or a box. box. I don't approach it diversity like that. I think it's a lot to do about having a voice uh, on the table. Being on the table, of course, is important. You have to be first sitting on the table. And then after that, you need to have the voice. And the third thing, that voice needs to create the impact. So all three components is what we have been working on. So it's also creating conversations around DNI, also making relevant decision, making decisions which are also relevant to business, having a staggered approach to responsibility for DNI. When it's spread and monitored from a central point where it works better. Um, so all these all these aspects have to be done at the same time. So we've done everything at the same time so that from every dimension and direction we are looking at internally and externally uh, a transformational change. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, the products, for example, which we are offering to our customers are women-centric and women-centered. And we are also very clear on our targets or how we are approaching because we want to have the financial inclusion of women in the community and the society so that that empowers them. So that creates an ecosystem in itself. So all these aspects, so we are looking at internal and external both. So that's mm-hmm. something that uh, that has really, I think, remarkably, remarkably changed the way we have been uh, approaching and what the results have been in terms of our own culture. Mm-hmm. And we connect with communities around us. So there is this strong focus on cultural change because, um, as you said, just putting quotas, it's it's a very artificial uh, approach to diversity and inclusion. It doesn't really address the root cause for my for why there might not be diversity and inclusion. Uh, so, for example, so what if you attract more women, let's say, to an organization if you cannot retain them because the culture isn't exactly. right or because people don't have the the platform to speak out. How do you create this platform where people feel that their voice is heard? It's something that you mentioned. So um, multiple areas again. So one way uh, in which the voice needs to be heard is when they are entering the organization, having um, having their space to be able to contribute. So we have multiple types of governance structures within the bank where we make sure that women are included in every segment in terms of decision making. So that's a very powerful requirement that we need to have. Um, The second component, I think, which is extremely important also 
is how we are looking at uh, women who want to leave the organization. So, and you mentioned it just now in terms of uh, the exit and how we're looking at the exit becomes actually became the first component that we started working on because that was also creating a space uh, in terms of how we can retain them. If there is an issue with the culture, we need to fix it. So there, we do, uh, of course, exit interviews. Everyone is doing that, but we were doing multiple levels of, and we are still doing that, uh, exit interviews. And these interviews also incorporated sometimes their families because in Pakistan, sometimes because of girl, for example, who is opting to get married, may have some pressure that she, you know, she needs to leave the job and just focus on her household. So we uh, would go to the extent, and we still do, of speaking to her future in-laws, to her parents, making sure that she's one thing safe and she's making that decision with her own will, number one. And second, mm -hmm. if she can stay, we would make her stay. And if she wants, you know, an extended leave, we would provide that so that she comes back into work. So every way in which we can, we try retain. So that retention component has really improved. The second thing which has really helped us to have uh, policies relating to, for example, grievances, harassment, sexual harassment, deterrence uh, from retaliation. Um, so there's a whole set of policies and processes in place which provide our all our employees, actually, not just the female employees, the space and the enabling environment that they feel safe enough um, to be able to approach uh, any of these areas if they feel any kind of grievance. And then uh, we try and take care of it as quickly as possible as well. So trying to be very equitable, uh, very fair in whatever the particular case may be. So you mentioned something at the beginning. You said that you uh, make sure that women are part of the decision making. So do you have a process in place where certain company decisions, there has to be women involved in that process and only then a certain decision can be put in place? So we, we have, um, and I can tell you, um, for example, like even if I pick uh, recruitment, for example, any of the committees that we are making, any consulting within a particular oversight committee. We include women at every level. Promotions, interviews for promotions, again, the same thing. So mm -hmm. uh, essentially, in a very systematic way, we are trying to create space where, where everyone's voice is heard. Mm -hmm. One thing, of course, everyone's voice is present first and foremost, and then it's heard as well. So these two aspects are extremely important. and. You know, as we go forward and we, we, I would want to talk about the ecosystem essentially, and that's one of the challenges that uh, we find, for example, in panel discussions, our um, male colleagues would prefer to go into panel discussions where um, there is at least um, some, some balance in terms of panel membership also. So these mm -hmm. kind of areas. So every component that we pick becomes important, although it may be small, it may seem very, you know, minor, but at the end of the day, it actually creates an ecosystem. Uh, that's an interesting topic because it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because by default, it's implicit. <laughs> we don't know that we have it. <laughs> what What are the policies? Do you have any policies helping to to, to minimize, to eliminate of the implicit bias across the organization, or policies, initiatives, trainings? 
Yes, we do not only focus on biases. We are actually focusing on a more of a ecosystem. How do we fix all these areas? Now, the embedded biases essentially, as you said, is a very difficult area to fix because a lot of times when we also start looking at these biases, sometimes we start focusing on it a little too much and that also creates in its, its own bias. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you need to be aware of them, and yet you also need to be aware that you can also create further biases through this mm-hmm. uh, approach. Mm-hmm. So it's, it becomes a bit of a challenge um, uh-huh. as to how you approach it. However, I think one of the... Can you give me an example of yeah, when this can happen? So, so one example could be that every case of harassment that mm-hmm. is received is genuine. That in itself is... Uh, an approach which which carries in itself an embedded bias mm-hmm. and if we follow that sometimes we may not be fair to both both parties who are part of that particular case or investigation i think keeping an open mind is extremely important and looking at it from a factual base looking at it in a very fair manner becomes extremely important what has really helped us i think is that our decision-making on all of these areas is extremely collaborative. So we do create oversight committees where senior resources are engaged in dialogue, in discussion um, over these areas. And when we are going through a particular process, whether it is the disciplinary action committee, whether it is the um, harassment committee, the, the dialogue around it is very open. It will take into account all kinds of possibility of biases, which we may have inherently with us, and how we can reduce that as much as possible. So looking at it from a collaborative approach also creates a balance, which really takes out a lot of the possibility of biases. So that has really helped us in terms of bringing more equity into the system. Yeah, that's very, very important. I remember when we first spoke, something that you said, which I thought was really to the point is uh, when it comes to driving uh, those diversity and inclusion initiatives, it's really important to look for dialogue and similarities, not only for differences, because you can actually worsen the situation if if you only point out, let's say, if you only victimize one group rather than trying to figure out the reasons for why a certain group feels that way and why, let's say, there is a glass big ceiling, etc. Absolutely. I think it's extremely important because when we look at diversity, we have faith-based diversity, we have ethnic groups, uh, we have uh, persons with different abilities, we have uh, all the genders that we must include always uh, in the discussions. So when you uh, when you actually have this kind of diversity and you're looking at various dimensions of diversity, uh, depending on your organization, depending on your country, depending on which are the areas that you need to focus on, you you need to really look at how how much of a similarity there is needs to be the focus and how much of the of the differences or dissimilarities is something that needs to be discussed. Yes, put on the table to sort out and to fix, not to create further differences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the intent has to be very clear. So when we are looking at different faiths, 
what is the baseline that we are looking at and what are we appreciating and what are we recognizing in each faith uh, becomes extremely important uh, rather than just looking at, okay, this is different from the main majority faith here. So it, it can't possibly be right. So it's not uh, that kind of, I think that kind of attitude or that kind of focus towards anything, um, be it any problem that you are dealing with, will create further problems rather than... Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. really focusing on your similarities and uh, what are the synergies, what are the areas that we are all the same. Yeah, really it, works in a lot of ways. Yeah, you, you've had some wonderful successes in your current organization on, of bringing very distinct cultures uh, together or groups of people together and, and like bringing people from different religious backgrounds, for example, not always has proven to be easy. But you've had some wonderful successes of creating a harmonious dialogue about what is similar among them rather than what is different. Absolutely. So one of the one of the things that I do every month is a, what we call a learning Thursday. So we have um, various celebrities coming in, national and international. A lot of times when there are certain events happening which are religious in nature depending on various faiths we would invite people from different faiths and i would have a dialogue with them and uh, one such um, incident i can think of actually it's been more than one now but we we invited somebody from the sikh community and the gentleman is not from pakistan and the way we sort of, we actually got, we because we do a Facebook Live, so we get a lot of questions from our employees. And generally, uh, a lot of them have not been really exposed to multiple religions or their or concepts. Uh, they are young uh, people. Generally, they don't read a lot into, you know, diversified religions. So it was an extremely interesting conversation. And those questions that I received and the feedback that I had received was so positive and it was so wonderful to see that everybody was really appreciating and coming together and understanding, okay, this, this seems very familiar. This seems like pretty much like our own faith and yet mm -hmm. uh, it's different and yet it's the same. So the, that appreciation really brought them together in a way. So I think mm -hmm. these, these conversations become extremely uh, important. Mm -hmm. It's not always, you know, coming out with communications which are written that you need to do this and you need to do that. It's essentially opening our minds and, and you know, giving everyone space to introspect. Really, you know, the reality of the world pretty much can be different if we looked at it from a very positive angle and we, we looked at each other as, you know, humans on this earth and we are all pretty much the same. And there can be differences of opinion and we need to give space for that as well. But there is a willing, isn't there? If you give people opportunities to get together and have an open conversation, there is a willing. There is a Absolutely. willing to see the other's side point of view. Certainly. I think it's a lot to do with, you know, positive energy and what kind of positive messaging that we are providing. So in, in an organization, like in a family, the group who is in charge, like in a family, you have the parents and who, who are given the main, you know, parenting role. The role defines for you a responsibility to also bring balance, to bring positive energy, to bring all the positive thoughts and, and education. You need to educate in the same way in an organization. You do need to educate your employees also in areas where they may not have had that exposure. 
And if we have that opportunity and we can open these dialogues and we can sit together and, and you know, think about things, not just uh, about the work that we do, but the impact that we create by being better humans, better citizens. I think that in itself creates a very positive change uh, within the community. So it, it really, I think it becomes extremely important for organizations to look at these areas, not just from the perspective of in, inward looking, but these are all, all outward looking, external, because they will impact all community around, wherever you know, your organization may be. Exactly. Organizations have huge impact on, on communities and a huge role to play to improve entire communities, not only their own culture internally. Final question for you as a leader, what are you most proud of and why? That's a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) I think I am most proud of people around me who have really supported me always in the way I have gone ahead. I think I'm proud of I'm proud of women in Pakistan. I'm mm-hmm. proud of the youth in Pakistan because mm-hmm. they, they have actually, they have been driving so many of the changes around. I'm proud of our, our male colleagues who are championing and supporting diversity and equity. I think I'm, I'm really passionate about these things, but a lot of us, it's not just me. There are so many of us around. So it becomes like, a, I think it's like a, um, like a waterfall. <laughs> so it, it's like every person around who actually works on it, you know, it, it in itself is a huge thing. So for me, I think I'm more proud of these things than to be proud of any specific, you know, success that I may have had. I'm definitely proud of all my success. Uh, but I think for me, these connecting with people and looking at people around me, that just makes me every woman who is making it in this world makes me proud so that's uh-huh. how I, yeah uh, you, you're truly driven by values by and, and by uh, the possibility to make a change and make a positive impact on others and um, it's really interesting because when you do start having conversations around these topics and connecting with people who are who want to make a positive impact you find that there is a lot of them yes Certainly. Uh, thank you very much for this very insightful conversation. It was a pleasure. Uh, I would love to keep asking you lots of more questions, but we need to finish. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. I hope uh, somebody somewhere has learned a little bit and tries and introspect a little bit on whatever we've been discussing. That's it for this month's Ways Women Lead episode. But there is plenty more insightful and actionable advice from where this podcast came from. Check out our website on www.6-group.com if you'd like to know more about how to build and develop diverse, inclusive and effective leadership teams and how to progress your career as a leader. See you next time.